Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, it's Monday. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Was that your uh, stomach thinking that? That was bro? not. That was the arm of my chair that that scraped underneath the table. Mm-hmm. Dude, Dude, we've we been doing a lot of these. I mean, we're not done yet, though. No, we're not. We can do six more today. Whoa. I don't know about that. That's a lot. I have faith. That's a lot. Hey, it's Monday, and we hope you're having a great Monday wherever you're at. Whatever you're doing, I hope it's a good one. Yes. Yes, I do as well. Six Flags happened on Saturday. Yeah, man. We didn't lose any students. Yep. (laughs) Fingers fingers crossed we didn't lose any students. (laughs) Trusting by the grace of God, we lost none of them. Right. And I, you know, I'm kind of wondering if I, I got on a ride or not. That's what I'm wondering. But I'm trusting by by the time this this airs that I will have been fully recovered. Because I, I was just thinking, I'm not even getting a lot of sleep that night either. Because you're gonna get home late, and then I right. wake up early for the setup and the worship. Right. Thankfully, kids' choir came in clutch. They covered most of the morning for me. They're doing the whole thing, basically. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're doing a song with them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you did a song with them. Did a song because <laughs> it's Monday. Because it's, it's Monday. Monday. And I also did, we did an offering worship song too. Yeah. Where Sarah sang and riffed for like five minutes. She was just doing those Mariah Carey Scatting. runs. Yeah, she started scatting out of nowhere. Yeah, it's weird. And then when Rob Rob the Killer Kelly was dancing on the roller skates on the yeah. stage, I thought that was just the piece de resistance. I thought the turntables- It was wonderful. She put it over the top though. The turntables were the the best ad. Yeah, when David was on the turntables, <laughs> David Rapido. Man, it was uh, he was rapping it, it up. It shocked man. me. It shocked me. He's it was so reserved. Awe-inspiring. But, yeah. But, dude, these are the gifts of the Spirit that Acts chapter 2 talks about. <laughs> this was what was happening. Oh, man. And that's why we're cessationists. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, let's jump into Hosea. Hosea 9, 10, 11. Let's do this. Hosea uh, 9, 10, 11. Hosea. Hosea. Hey, Hosea 9, uh, more judgment against Israel. And... Uh, yeah, rejoice. Is, that's new. Not oh Israel, man. Uh, do we? Uh, if there's a message that needs to be delivered to our nation right now, I think it's it's that one. Uh, don't exult like the peoples. You've played the whore, forsaking your God. You've loved a prostitute's wages on all the threshing floors, man. Just the way that our nation glories in its sin. Um, here, God is calling Israel, and certainly we are not Israel 2.0. I'm not implying that at all. I'm just saying that this this chastising of Israel for boasting in its sinfulness is something that uh, that that we probably need to hear more of today um, in our area. Uh, they shall not remain in the land of the, the, the Lord, verse 3. But look at this. This is the anti-exodus. They shall return to Egypt. That's not a good thing. Israel wanted to go to Egypt. Judah wanted to go to Egypt for alliances and, and to be protected. But this is an, uh, an indictment. This is the, the suggestion. You guys are going to be back in slavery. You're going to be back away from the promised land. You're going to be back in exile. This is not a good thing when it says you shall return to Egypt. This is the undoing, so to speak, of the exodus. Verse 7, the days of punishment, they've come. The days of rec- recompense have come. Uh, verse 9, again, he will remember their iniquity. God's not forgetting these things. He will punish their sins. Reminds, again, of Romans 2.5. They are storing up wrath for themselves on the day of judgment. Uh, God does not forget sin. You'll see references throughout this section to Gilgal, including verse 15. Every evil of theirs is in Gilgal. And if you're not familiar with the land or familiar with the 
the, the backstory of Gilgal, then it may be a little confusing to you. Why does that matter? Well, Gilgal was initially a good spot. It was a place of, of devotion to the Lord, but then it became a center of idol worship. So that's kind of the, the, the representation of the, the heart of idol worship in the land there is Gilgal. So when you see that uh, in these chapters, know that that's what the prophet is referring to and indicting. Remember Deuteronomy chapter 28 once more. Uh, we've referenced this passage uh, multiple times by now, but you'll notice in verse 12, God threatens, even if they were to bring up children, I will bereave them till none is left. Uh, that is a threat. That is God getting off at the couch and saying, look, you, you sin, you trifle with me. You persist in the way that you are living, and I will ensure that the consequences are indeed painful. And this, again, harkens back to chapter 28, where God lists out through the pen of Moses the blessings for obedience and the curses for disobedience, and this is among them. Yeah. Chapter 10, notice how it opens in verse 1, Israel is a luxuriant vine. We've heard that language before. Isaiah spoke of Israel as a vine. Uh, Other prophets have mentioned Israel as a vine here again. Hosea is saying Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. The more the fruit increased, the more altars he built. Man, in other words, the more blessings they had, the more they forgot God. The the more they worshiped the the, the creature rather than the creator. Their heart is false, verse 2, and they must bear their guilt. God is going to bring the judgment on them. Look over at verse 8, though. Here we see some eschatological language. This is going to show up again in the book of Revelation. When God brings his judgment, look at the end of verse 8. They shall say to the mountains, cover us, and to the hills, fall on us. That's pretty much verbatim what the those being judged in the end times in the book of Revelation say the same thing. When they're suffering under the wrath of God, to the mountains, cover us, to the hills, fall on us. Because we want to hide from God, and yet it's, it's an, an impossibility to, to really truly hide from the wrath of God. I really resonated with the beginning of chapter 10 here. I I, there, there's passages that I've read in scripture that I'm like, I don't know if I could pray that. Give me neither poverty nor riches, lest you give me abundance and I forget you, or you give me nothing and I'm tempted to steal. I'm kind of paraphrasing here what I've read in the Proverbs. But this passage here, the more his fruit increased, the more altars he built. And I put here great prosperity, great idolatry. And Sometimes we don't think that way. We ask God for the raise. We ask God for the bigger house. We ask God for the better car. And that's not always a bad thing. And we've talked about this before, wealth and how, how it can be a blessing to us and a blessing to the church especially. But there are times when God's like, dude, if I gave you more, it would ruin your soul. As we see here with Israel, blessings are not always a good thing. It could be the very thing that undoes us, which is why Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, hey, don't desire to be rich. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, and it could be destructive to your soul. So if God has thus far held your income steady or held your net worth at a certain number and you're hoping for more and you you want to do this and that, I like the way the ESV says it here, abundance is risky. Um, And for some people, they can't handle it. And, And maybe God is holding you at a certain number, a certain station, because that's what's best for you. So I would say appreciate, be content with your lot, even as you seek for bigger and better things, which again, not necessarily bad, just beware. Abundance can be very risky. Yeah, one more thing, verse 13 in chapter 10. Here again, the the idea is what you sow, you will reap. You've plowed iniquity, you're going to reap injustice. Um, This is again is, there aren't, sin does not go unpunished. Um, And as Christians, you know, our sin doesn't go unpunished in we, the, the wrath of God against us and against our sin. It's not as though it was just set aside. It was dealt with at the cross. And, and that's the thing is, is our Romans two, five, the wrath that we were storing up for ourselves on the day of judgment. When we bow the knee in faith and repentance to Christ, that wrath is not just set aside and, and abrogated. It's instead 
poured out upon Christ on the cross. It, it was still poured out. What we sow, we didn't have to reap by God's grace. Christ reaped it on our behalf so that we wouldn't have to. Amen. Chapter 11, then, you get uh, another uh, focus back on the reprieve, at least initially here, of, hey, you know what? There's still going to be this future. I'm not going to make an entire end. In fact, he said in chapter 10, you're going to go to Egypt, or maybe that was chapter 9, rather. Here, he's going to say, I'm going to bring you out of Egypt. Out of Egypt, I called my son. That may sound familiar to you. Uh, This is certainly an allusion to the Exodus, but also forward-looking to Matthew chapter 2, verse 15, where Jesus and his family fled to Egypt, uh, to avoid the the death of the firstborn there, or the death of the children there, and yet then God would bring them out of Egypt later on, and it was in fulfillment, at least in part, of this prophecy from Hosea, out of Egypt I called my son. Um, yeah, verses 3 and 4, we see a kind, compassionate, merciful God, and yet the tragedy here is Israel would not return. Israel would not uh, respond, and so they're going to go into captivity. Uh, They shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria this time will be their king. Verse five, my people are bent on turning away from me. Again, that internal problem there. It's not just an external thing. It's an internal. They are bent. They're inclined. They're purposed to turn away from me. Though they call out to the most high, he shall not raise them up at all. So remember where we are in history right now. Assyria was just dropped. That name was dropped there. And that's for the Northern Kingdom. Northern Kingdom at this point still has a king. They're still in operation. They're still united, united. They're still a nation. That's operating under under king, kingly leadership. But here, Hosea, or Hosea, as some of us call him, recognizes that Assyria is coming. Remember what when that took place. 722 BC is when, uh, when the northern kingdom was destroyed. And so this is one of the forward-looking prophecies. We're having to go back in time here, and, and we apologize for that. We're just going canonically through the Bible. But just know here, that's what's taking place. That's, that's the backdrop to this. But notice, again, how God responds to this. And it's so unexpected. You would not expect this to show up where it does, but chapter 11, verse second half of verse 8 into verse 9, my heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. Is he saying the opposite of what he just said, Pastor PG? Why is he saying this? And when does he say this? What's this, what's this regarding? Well, it's certainly not regarding the the imminent future of Israel because they were going to fall to Assyria in judgment. Um, but the future, this is a, a forward looking. This is looking forward future to future history, as you call it. Yeah, future history, regathering the people and uh, the millennial kingdom age. And so that's what is going on here. And and this has been indicative. This is something that that God has done uh, throughout the prophetic books. Here, He has said, "I'm going to bring judgment, but I'm not going to make a full end. I'm going to bring judgment, but I'm not going to make a full end." And, uh, and that was, I think, in part there for people like Daniel. While Daniel's in, in captivity there, we just read about this, and he's reading Jeremiah and says, oh, wait a minute. At the end of 70 years, God is going to be merciful to his people. So God has a purpose for this even in the short term. He's going to fulfill some things in, in part in the short term, but, but ultimately this is looking forward to the end um, and to the millennial kingdom. One note in verse 12, the, the contrast appears there. No. We're not doing chapter 12. No, verse 12. Oh, Sorry. Dude, Verse 12. This is the Pastor yeah. Rod was just flagging me down. He, like, no, no, no. He, that, that 12. he was about to punch me. I was about to throw fisticuffs. I don't know what happened. Verse 12. He says, Ephraim has surrounded me with lies and the house of Israel with deceit, but Judah still walks with God and is faithful to the Holy One. That's interesting because Judah has been kind of called out already to this point in the book. So what is, what is he talking about there? Well, there's some difficulty in the Hebrew language there, wherein this could also mean Judah has been unruly against God. 
um, or even uh, the the word for God there is not Elohim, but just the 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 prefix L, which means God or gods, could be God lowercase, uh, which could refer to foreign gods. And so this could be talking about not just Ephraim's unfaithfulness, but also Judah's unfaithfulness. So it's not necessarily a contrast here praising Judah. It could be an indictment against both there as the chapter concludes, which fits chapter 12, which we'll hit tomorrow in our next episode. That's right, tomorrow, Pastor PJ. Well, let's flip over to Revelation chapter 2. If you're with us for our pre-launch Bible studies, then Revelation 2 and 3 should sound familiar because these are the seven churches of the book of Revelation. Yeah, we did cover that, didn't we? We did studies on them. Felt so long ago. may still be on our, our website there. Seven churches of the book of Revelation. As we get into this, there are different views that people have, different ways that people interpret the book of Revelation. And so wanted to hit on a few of those with you. Um, there's really four views out there. N- number one is the idealist view. And the idealist view is sometimes called the, the spiritual view. This is basically everything's allegory. And so it's, it's not going to look for literal fulfillment anywhere or any place. But this is going to be, this is one giant allegory. And uh, Augustine was a big proponent of the idealist view, and uh, and that's that's one of the views out there. Another view out there is called the preterist view. The preterist view would believe that this had its fulfillment in 70 A.D. with the destruction of the temple, and uh, and everything that took place therein. And so this is in the past; it's already done. Uh, that would be the, the the preterist view. The third view then is what we would call the historicist view. And the historist view says that this is a, a symbolic representation that presents the course of history from uh, John's life through the end of the age. So these are kind of like periods of time that are unfolding rather than historical events that should be viewed there. And then finally, there's the, the futurist view. And the futurist view says that these are uh, the, the, the literal events that will take place in the future that they have yet to be fulfilled at any point in history. And that's the, the view that we would embrace as well when we approach the book of Revelation. There are categories underneath these, just so you know. There are. That yeah. was a very simple, helpful, high-level overview, and maybe you don't need much more than that. But just know, if you're talking to someone who says, oh, I'm a classic of this, or I'm a histor- or a partial of that, um, don't need to spend a whole lot of time on that right now. Right. You should do some digging in that, but just so you know, there's more beneath that that we're not talking about. Yeah, there are. Well, let's get into the seven churches. First one up is Ephesus. Ephesus is a church that when I preached through it with our, our pre-launch Bible today, I said, I think a lot of us would feel comfortable in Ephesus. It's a doctrinally sound church. It's got all the boxes checked there. They are sound theologically. There's no false teachers present there. The problem is, the problem is they've left their first love. They've, they've lost their fervor for Christ. There's no evangelistic zeal there at all. And Jesus says to them, hey, you got to repent. You got to remember where you have fallen from. In other words, recapture that first love repent and do the work she did at first. You need to return to that church. And so that's the the opening charge there to that church is, man, you've lost your first love. You need to go back to that. And I think there's elements that we can see in ourselves in a lot of these churches as we consider our church, uh, a lot that we want to guard against. That's why we studied it at the very beginning with our pre-launch Bible studies to say we want to do the good things and avoid the bad things in these churches. Uh, chapter two, Smyrna. How about chapter two, Pastor Rod, uh, with Smyrna? What do we read there? Uh, Smyrna is another church. It is. Sorry, I just threw that at him randomly. He did not see that coming. I was out of left field. Catch, think fast. Smyrna. So Smyrna is is undergoing some kind of tribulation. And in fact, look here, verse 9. I know your tribulation and your poverty. God is aware, acutely aware, intimately involved in the suffering of his people. He's not unaware of that. In fact, if you take a look here, he says, you are... Uh, 
you are dealing with people who are engaging in the synagogue of Satan. That's, that's saying a lot here. Satan makes an appearance later on in the book, but that's a big that's a big statement there. I want you to pay attention to the Church of Smyrna. He he doesn't he doesn't chastise them for anything. Like they're 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 doing well. Yeah. He he's giving him a bill of goods here. He says, hey, just stay stay the course. You're going to have tribulation for a while. But he says this: be faithful unto death, and I'll give you the crown of life. We need to hear that probably more than ever. Mm-hmm. We're we're sad, not sad. We are hard pressed to go to church when it's cold and rainy outside. And we have difficulty being uncomfortable even in that kind of situation. And he's saying to this church in Smyrna, hey, go ahead and die. Right. Just die. Right. Be faithful unto death. Don't don't let don't let your desire for life overcome the desire for eternal life here. So he encourages them to stay faithful. They have been faithful, they're going to remain faithful. He says, be faithful unto death. Uh that that would be successful. Faith must show itself in being a living sacrifice, as Paul says in Romans 12. And in this case, and it actually means actual death, a dying sacrifice. Yep. Pergamum is next up. And with Pergamum, you've got a church where there is sin in the camp. There's some that's good there about them. They hold fast his name. They did not deny his faith. Even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. That's another strong uh, indictment there where Satan dwells. Antipas, there's a lot of questions about who he was. We, we don't know for sure. Church history holds that he was a martyr who died while being roasted alive inside of a brass bowl. And so that is some of the, the degree of persecution facing these churches as we're reading through this. But the problem with this church is they were tolerating sin within the camp. Uh, there were some holding to the teaching of Balaam. There was a lot that believed that this had to do with sexual immorality and that that was pervading the church and that they weren't do- doing anything about that. And so in verse 16, the charge is, hey, you know what? You've got to repent. Otherwise, I'm going to come to you and wage war with the sword of my mouth. What's the sword of the mouth of Jesus? The word of God. It's the word. It's the scripture. That's our ultimate standard. That's what we're called to. And, uh, and the challenge there is, hey, if you don't do this, and we didn't mention this in, in the first church to Ephesus, but he told Ephesus, look, if, you, if you're not going to obey me, I'm going to snuff out your lampstand. Your church is going to disappear. And if you go to Ephesus today, guess what you're not going to find? You're not going to find a church there anymore. And so he followed through with that. There is no church in Ephesus anymore continuing to do ministry. Same thing here in Pergamum. If they weren't going to repent, God was going to move on from them and no longer bless them. And that's a that's a warning to us, church. We got to stay the course. We got to be faithful. We got to guard the perimeters of the church. We got to make sure that we're doing what Christ wants us to do. Otherwise, he's going to take us off the map. This is not about a personality. This is not about anything else. It's not about a brand. Man, if, if we're not useful to Jesus, Jesus will shut our doors. Scary. And uh, and that's terrifying. And so we want to be learning from examples like this and making sure that we're battling against that. Yeah, probably one thing I would add to that is there's no churches that were, that were started here at the beginning of church history that are still around. Every church has died. And we are aware that our church can and probably will die at some point unless there's a faithful body of believers who are doing exactly what Jesus calls them to do. Right, right. Yeah. Church in Thyatira. How is the church in Thyatira different from Pergamum? They both seem to have this false teaching there. Well, I think in, in Pergamum, the false teaching is, is they're more passive recipients of the false teaching and they're putting up with it and they're engaging in sinful behavior. I think in Thyatira, it, it ratchets up, it escalates because they are they're platforming false teachers there. You tolerate the woman Jezebel. Is this actually Jezebel? No. How do we know that? Well, Jezebel's dead. She died. She died. She gone. She got eaten by the dogs. This is Jezebel used as a as a placeholder to refer to the, the false teacher, whoever that is, that they were platforming and allowing to teach in their church and they were putting up with that. And there's a small pocket instead of a majority. There's a small pocket that he commends in verse 24 who are still holding fast, not holding to that teaching. And he commends them in the end of that letter. Dude, talk about a crazy, a crazy sentence here. They're not holding to what some call the deep things of Satan. 
Yeah. Dude, in the church. Yeah. You would get that outside. I understand. Okay, the unbelievers, the Gentiles, deep things to say, but this is within the church. Yeah. So I, I, again, I, I think we've talked about this before, that mystical stuff that the people engage in today, mysticism, even the zodiac signs and the yeah. symbols and the crystals and things like that, the, those are not to be forbidden and forsaken because they're they're false. They are that, but they are dangerously real. You're engaging in real demonic powers that mm-hmm. you have no power, no place to be in, to be around or to engage with. So please, if you ever have anyone, friends or family members who are saying, Hey, let's, let's do the Ouija board. It's fun. And let's do this and that spell. It's fun. Run, run, run quickly. Yeah. Say no. Get behind me, Satan. That's right. Just like that. Yeah. Slap. Yeah. Maybe don't slap him though. Maybe not. Well, hey, tomorrow we get to talk about God throwing up. In the book of Revelation. Unpleasant. So if you're not curious about that, then I don't know what will make you curious. Show up tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. See you then. Bye. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org, and we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Thank you.